Chapter 8 of The Life of St. Paul. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maria Fatima da Silva. The Life of St. Paul by Francis Alice Forbes. Strength in Infirmity. Having saluted the church in Jerusalem, Paul came to Antioch. The short stay which he made in the holy city was enough to convince him that he would find small sympathy for his work in a community that still clung persistently to the idea that Christianity was but an extra adornment to the Mosaic law. Their cold piety struck a chill to the great heart of Paul, but in Antioch he felt at home. Syria and the East were aglow with her light and her warmth. The Spirit of Christ was in her midst. The time of rejoicing was short. He had determined to know nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And for the faithful soldier of the cross, the cross was ever waiting. Some of those false brethren from whom the Apostle has suffered so much already had made their appearance amongst his beloved communities of Galatia, assuring them that they were only half-Christian and could never, unless they consented to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses, be considered as the equals of the Jewish Christians. Paul, who had been their teacher, was, they declared, but a subordinate, and was in error on this point. They had come directly from the Twelve and were to be trusted. The Galatians were greatly troubled. The work that Paul had accomplished at the cost of so much toil and suffering was in danger of being undone. Having written a letter in which he exhorted the communities of Galatia to hold fast to the truths that he had taught them, though an angel from heaven should teach otherwise, he dispatched it by a trusty messenger. The next thing to be done was to bring his business at Antioch to an end that he might go in person to confirm his wavering flock. Great was their joy and relief when Paul appeared once more amongst them. From city to city he went, setting all in order and warning the disciples against the false teachers who had so disturbed their peace. The men who had given themselves out as having come from the twelve disappeared suddenly on the news of the apostles' arrival. It was easy to prove that they were impostors. The visit to Galatia completed Paul, mindful of his promise, crossed the province of Asia and came to Ephesus, where he found his old friends, Aquila and Priscilla. For three months he reasoned with the Jews in the synagogue. Many of them were one to Christ, but the larger body of unbelievers soon made the synagogue an impossible preaching place, and he was forced to look elsewhere. During the rest of his stay in Ephesus, which was to last for two years, he disputed daily in the school of one Tyrannus, probably using the lecture hall during the evening hours when the pagan teacher did not require it. His own daily work would then be done, for with his own hands, we are told, he had furnished what was necessary for himself and his companions. The hard day's work, 
followed by the evening's preaching, might well have exhausted a stronger frame than Paul's. Insulted and persecuted by the unbelieving Jews, suffering in body, worn with toil, burdened with anxiety for his Christian converts in other lands, his life, as he himself expressed it, was a daily death. But it is under the shadow of the cross that the Master's work thrives best, and the faith spread not only in Ephesus, but through all the cities of Asia. Miracles were many. Garments that Paul had worn or touched were laid upon the sick and they recovered. Evil spirits were cast out. In this heathen city, where idols were worshipped with abominable rites, the devils seemed to have had great power, and certain Jews who had been trying to cast out demons from possessed persons were very much astonished by the success of Paul and his companions. They concluded that the charm used by these men was more powerful than their own, and they listened carefully to learn it. Entering the house of a maniac who was possessed by a demon, they called upon the evil spirit to come out of him, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. The result was not quite what they had expected. The madman leapt upon them furiously. Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? cried the devil. Bleeding and wounded, they scarce escaped with their lives. Many who dealt in magic and sorcery, for Ephesus was a center of superstition, were struck with fear when they heard these things and were converted to Christ. The church in Asia was increasing rapidly, but Paul's labors there were destined to be brought suddenly to an end. Besides being the capital of the province and a great commercial center, Ephesus was looked upon by the pagans as one of their sacred cities. Its temple of Diana was famous throughout the world for its beauty, although the worship of the Ephesian goddess appealed only to what is lowest and basest in man. The time for the great annual festival was at hand. Pilgrims were thronging from far and near to take part in the revelry. The tradesmen of the city were wont to reap a rich harvest at these times, especially the sculptors and silversmiths, who made little statues and shrines of Diana. These were largely bought by the citizens to carry home with them, or to present to the goddess in her temple. Now it happened in this particular year that customers were fewer than usual. Demetrius, one of the leading silversmiths of the city, had watched the growth of Christianity with unfriendly eyes. The slackness of trade was all owing to these teachers of a new religion, he declared, and to their preaching against the worship of the gods. Gathering together his fellow tradesmen, he told them that not only would they themselves be ruined by Paul and his companions, but that the great goddess Diana, the glory of their city, was in danger of being dishonored. His words were greeted with cries of indignation. Great is Diana, shouted the tradesmen, rushing into the street, where they were joined by all the idlers and vagabonds of Ephesus. The screaming mob swept onwards towards the great theatre, carrying with them Gaines and Aristarchus, two of Paul's companions. 
half of them did not even know why they were there but gathering from the shout of their companions that it had something to do with the worship of diana they swelled the hubbub by shouting her name the jews who were anxious to make it clear that they had nothing to do with paul and his preaching put forward one of their party to address the mob but the people were not in a condition to make distinctions he was greeted by a fresh outburst and for two hours without ceasing the frenzied populace shouted together great is diana of the ephesians paul having heard of the capture of his companions was for hastening at once to the spot but he was forcibly detained by the disciples those of the rulers who were friendly to the christians had in the meantime sent messages urging him not to show himself in the city the town clerk who doubtless knew the temper of an Ephesian mob, let the people scream till they were tired. When for sheer exhaustion they were forced to stop, he addressed them quietly. Who had ever doubted the greatness of their goddess? He asked them. If Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen had anything against any man, the courts of justice were open. Let them accuse him there. In the meantime, they were likely to get into serious trouble with Rome on account of this day's uproar. Sobered by these words, the citizens dispersed to their homes, and peace was apparently restored. But the fire was only smouldering and might break out again at any moment. The Jews, who, much to their disgust, were included by the pagans in their ill-feeling against the Christians, were ready to seize any occasion to vent their spite on Paul. The only way to prevent a persecution of the disciples was for the apostle to disappear until the storm had blown over. His soul was heavy with sorrow, for messengers had arrived who brought him sad news of his dear Corinthian community. There were quarrels and divisions amongst them. Some had slipped back into the evil habits of their pagan lives, Others were treating the sacred mysteries of the faith with irreverence. Having poured out his heart to them in a burning letter in which he urged them to return to their first fervor, he sent Timothy before him to prepare the way for his own coming, which could not be at once, for he purposed to visit the churches of Macedonia on the way. It only remained to take a sorrowful farewell of the disciples at Ephesus, after which he set out for Troas, where he expected to meet with Titus. Here he found work to be done for Christ and remained a while to preach the faith. Titus was not there. The clouds closed in about his spirit and bodily sickness weighed upon the flesh. Where was Titus? Well, Paul knew that to all his fellow workers, busy in God's service, the martyr's death might come at any moment in stripes in prisons in seditions in labors in watchings in fastings this was the life of those who labored for the gospel of christ who knew it better than he how was it with the church in corinth had his letter done its work had they received timothy in charity and in faith these were the thoughts that harassed him but could not hinder that intrepid spirit in his work he was following a crucified master. To me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. In Macedonia, 
whither he hastened as soon as he could leave the new disciples at Troas, he was met by Luke and Timothy, accompanied by Erastus, the treasurer, one of the most eminent of his Corinthian converts. There also for the faithful disciple of the cross, the cross was waiting. Our flesh had no rest, he wrote to the Corinthians in his second letter. We were troubled on every side. His old enemies, the Jews, were as active as ever. The pagans were persecuting the Christian communities. Most of all, those false brethren who had disappeared so suddenly on his appearance in Galatia had found their way to Macedonia and were at their old mischievous work again. Be circumcised and keep the law of Moses, they argued. Otherwise you cannot be our equals. We come from Jerusalem. We know. One drop of comfort came to sweeten the bitter cup. His letter had touched the Corinthians to the heart. They were ready to do all that he asked. At once he dictated a second letter to Timothy, praising them for their loyalty, and bidding them persevere in the faith. My lips open and my heart swells with the love I bear you. This is my joy, that you give me grounds for hoping all things from you. He wrote in the gladness of his heart. A few months later he was to be with them himself, and the God of love and of peace was to unite them all once more in a bond that could never be broken. End of chapter 8